Are you Invictus? Clint, are you Invictus? Are you Invictus? What does it mean? You know, when I started the Invictus My podcast, uh, you know, my goal was to unite a bunch of people who had a similar ideology or a similar characteristic traits. Invictus means unconquerable. So it's an, an old uh, Greek word for it means unconquerable. Unconquerable. So, it, honestly, just be totally honest, it was, a, it was a new concept to me. I had to Google it when you sent it to me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do my best. Tell me about what the show, what, what, is, what is your audience looking for? Tell me. This is your first time here. This is the number one program dedicated to helping individuals maximize their potential and truly become unconquerable. Here we have discussions about what it takes and what it means to experience and magnify political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. Yes, I would absolutely say that. I'm going to keep getting up, right? And I keep getting up and I keep pushing forward. And that's the type of mindset that you need to have. I, I never lose hope. I never lose faith. My mindset has always been, if I want something, I don't give up. So let me tell you what is the number one issue when it, when it comes to being unconquerable. Okay. And the number one word you have to think about here is not intelligence, not savvy, not strength, none of those things. The number one thing is resilience. You know I'm Invictus, come on. All right, I'm Invictus AF. Well, may I have an initiation question for my tribe? Okay. Are you Invictus? I believe I am. So yes, I agree. I am Invictus. I totally agree, man. And and I think that if there's anybody on this planet that's unconquerable, it's probably me. I am not the type to take orders, and I am definitely in a position that uh, I can I can stand up for myself right now. So. And I was like, no way! I know what that word means now. <laughs> uh, yeah, man. Very cool concept for a show. You didn't ask me if I was Invictus. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Invictus Mind Podcast. This is your host, Mike Corbell. And that's right. You have reached the number one place to learn about political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. On this program, we will talk about how to become Invictus, or in other words, unconquerable. How can we as individuals navigate through the storms of this world and grow stronger within our families, in our communities, to get past any obstacles or roadblocks that come our way? It's my belief that in these confusing times where news and information is coming at us like fiery daggers, we must learn how to shield ourselves from that which is harmful and focus on good information that is truthful. But of course, how do I know which is which? If you spend any time on the social media over the last couple of years, then you know that the powers that be and their erudite ministry of truth make it a priority to make sure the information is correct. As many of your posts are probably flagged for misinformation. Of course, that doesn't mean that uh, our message is somehow in contradiction to uh, the truth, but it's uh, definitely contrary to the narrative that they want to push. You know, unfortunately, it's not only in social media, information is labeled as correct or incorrect, but we also find it happening in our news programs, in our institutions of higher education, and even our religious centers. But that's not a new thing. The very result of having a society that praises freedom of speech means that people can and will dissent from popular narrative and stir the pot, as it were. Still, it's us up to us to disseminate what's right and what's not. So on the show with me today, I have guy, uh, I've got a guy that I've been following for a little while. I had the privilege of appearing on his podcast a couple of weeks ago, so I thought I would return a favor. I, I asked him to share a little bit about his own story and what, if anything, actually makes him Invictus. But really, I want to discuss some of the work he's been doing to speak the truth or perhaps counter the so-called fact-checkers. He is the host of the fittingly titled Fact Check This Podcast, 
and is the author of a Substack blog called Fact Check This Substack. Let me welcome to the show, Justin Campbell. How you doing, Justin? Doing well. I kind of kind of lean into the fact checker thing, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So if you know, if you, I, I like to say, if you haven't been like censored or banned from Facebook, then you're not doing it right. I think I'm on my eighth or ninth strike on YouTube right now. So that's a lot of fun. Um, I, I play that. I dance that fine line of once I get the second strike, then I have to really watch what I say for a while until one of the strikes falls off and then I can be a little bit more spicy. It's uh, uh, <laughs> It's been a fun fun game to play. Interesting. Always kind of wondering when when are they going to actually just go ahead and nuke my channel and not let me say things anymore? Right, exactly. And if you have a podcaster, then it's just a pain in the butt to try to build up that audience again. And not everyone's going to be on the other channels like Odyssey or Rumble. So like, you know, you got to kind of tread waters in these days. And it kind of, uh, it's it's both entertaining and frustrating. I really like Rumble. I, I really like Rumble as a platform. And I've got about five or six guys who consistently watch all of my videos on Rumble. But yeah, it's hard to replace the, like having built a decent following on YouTube and, and having videos that have done well and like being able to reference back to those, <laughs> the, the, uh, the official fact checkers are really able to kind of dictate what we say and do because they can, they can take that away from us whenever they want. I mean, uh, I also co-host the Peddling Fiction podcast and we had a YouTube channel for Peddling Fiction and we had one strike. So I thought, you know, everything's good. I can... I can still post some stuff that's a little bit spicier. Well, they went back and they put a strike on a video from like eight months prior. And then the within six hours, put another strike on a new post that had just come up. So we got, we already had one and they gave us two within an eight hour period. And that was it. Channel's gone. Like, and there's no, and at that point you can't appeal or anything. They're just, they have nuked you. So it's it's really kind of crappy the way they can hold it over your head and you you have to self-censor and and that sucks. I, I hate doing that. We've we've started the uh, the peddling fiction videos back up on on Rumble and and they're doing fairly well, but I mean, you know, it's nothing like that. That that uh that YouTube channel had five, six hundred followers and like it had some it had some good videos that had a, a lot of a lot of traction and then to just get to just get wiped out like that is uh it's kind of kind of gut-wrenching <laughs> right right well you know you and i have been trolling around in the same circles for quite some time and uh you know i'm sure you've uh, you've heard me on a couple of shows and i likewise you but uh you know we haven't had a conversation uh, together uh yet except for that panel that you did uh, a couple of weeks ago um <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I noticed that, uh, you know, you've been working on uh, some of the back end of some of the other influencers as well, too, right? You would, you've been doing some production for them behind the scenes? Yeah. Um, right now, I'm not doing any of that. Uh, we bought this house and another house and did a lot of work on fixing these up and everything. The, everything you see in my background was uh, completely gutted and redone. I, I did literally all of this. So... Mm-hmm that has occupied the last four months or so of my life. Um, but prior to that, I was doing a lot of video production for uh, counterflow with Buck Johnson, also for the lions of Liberty did all of the video stuff for um, 
Civil Discord, Always Andy's Mom, which is a really interesting show. I, I highly recommend, um, especially if anybody's suffering from like loss or grieving, really go check out you know, Always Andy's Mom. Uh, mm. A lot of a lot of good stuff on that that's not political or any of the normal stuff we tend to talk about, but it's it's a really, really good show. Um, the Paradox with Eric Larson, which got into a lot of the medical field and, and stuff that's going on in medicine, which was also enlightening and, and highly informative. Uh, and then I did spot, I still do spot work. Uh, I do some spot work for Pete Pinona's on uh, his show on like video production and video editing, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm, I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes for a whole bunch of different people as well. Well, that's cool. I've had an interest in doing that for a long time, hence why I'm a podcaster, but uh, <laughs> I don't do so well uh, by myself. So I always like to have uh, entertaining guests on like yourself. But uh, now this recent podcast, Fact Check This Podcast, that's uh, that, is that the first time you've had a, a show like that yourself? Or Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, okay. I I'd started out doing work for Peddling Fiction and then and then doing some work for Lions of Liberty and Buck Johnson. Those were my those were my first three that I started doing work for. And and I just decided to start doing some little videos. I got really fed up. I would, uh, I would post like, I would, I would find stuff that was being fact checked. And the fact checker, if you went and opened up the actual fact check article and read through it, the things that they were saying completely contradicted what the headline of the fact check said. Like it would say, fact check this as misinformation or missing context. But then when you go and you read through it, it turns out that what they're fact-checking was actually true. The missing, missing context or the misinformation is just that they don't like the way that you're saying it, or it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't fit the approved narrative. Right. Or like there's some little uh, gimmicky thing that they can use to say that it's, that it's false when it's not actually false. But nobody reads anymore. And that's what I was finding is I was writing these long, <laughs> these long like uh, breakdowns of these fact-check articles and nobody read it. Nobody cared. So then I, I got pissed off one day and did like a 10 minute video breaking one of these down and it got four or 500 views like immediately. And everybody's like, oh, I'd never thought that. I never look at that. It's like, well, maybe this video thing might be the way to go. So I started doing little videos and then it just kind of, uh, it kind of snowballed from there and I ended up starting doing a podcast and, and I never had any intention of, of it being a thing that I had guests on and did panels or anything like that that just all kind of like happened organically I, I would have conversations with people and as the conversation developed it'd be like would you want to come on a podcast and talk about that and and then it just kind of you know it just kind of uh, built from there so it's been a fun journey I've been doing it for uh, I guess exactly two years now I've, I started almost two years ago to the day okay Cool, cool. Yeah, so I've been tossing between uh, just doing this podcast and also opening up a Substack. I can't consistently write uh, the things that I, you know, I want to write about in a Substack, but uh, I'm, I'm hearing from some other influencers that's that's kind of way that you want to get invited onto other shows is to actually have some written work. So <laughs> I dived on that track a little bit. I found the I found the Substack to be something that now that I actually started doing it, um, it definitely gives me an outlet in a different in a different way. Like I, I decided to pick the topic of religion and American Christianity as the thing that I really focus my writing on. Um, like the podcast and the stuff that I do for the show. Yeah. I like to be a little more 
politics, culture, sports, stuff like that. Like I, I try to keep it a little more, a little more broad and, and just cover stuff that generally speaking interests me. But the, for the Substack, I kind of found that having been raised uh, in a Methodist home and with some of the problems that the Methodist church is having and has been having, honestly, for eight or 10 years or so, um, as American Christianity pushes itself more progressive and seeing the way that that is creating huge schisms within not just within the Methodist church, but within other denominations of Christianity as well. It was something that I'm not sure if, if people who aren't really paying close attention to it realize what's going on. So I decided like, I'm going to start writing about that. I want to start like focusing on the problems that I see occurring within the American Christian church. Mm -hmm. And and so that's kind of where I've, I've gone with the Substack. And that gives me an opportunity to, to dig a lot deeper into that topic that, than, than I could with my show. Because like if I do every episode of my show on Christianity and religion and stuff, like that, that, that narrows my audience. Like I do have an audience that wants to hear about history, that wants to hear about politics and stuff like that. So for sure. So it, it allows me to focus a certain part of, what I'm doing on something that I am very invested in and, and very passionate about without taking away from the other things that I do. So, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed all my friends who do Substacks. They write about different stuff and mm -hmm. I like all of it and I get something out of all of it. And so if you've got something that you want to write about it, you should absolutely start a Substack. Like just, just start writing and see where it goes. Like you don't necessarily, I didn't have a plan until the, the plan kind of, found me right there you go well that, that's that's good advice just just do it just get started right yeah <laughs> i i give that advice to my podcast uh, quite often so i should like listen to myself once in a while <laughs> but you know it's interesting because uh that was i mean I've, that was why i invited you on the show today we were going to talk about uh, uh one of the articles you wrote uh, on your Substack uh in relation to um a post that I put on Facebook because, uh, you know, as, as, as I, my theme is, is political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not ashamed of my own religion. I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And I don't want to have every episode also be strictly about Christianity, but it just happens that, you know, it seems to be the topic um, in, the, in the zeitgeist, especially among a lot of the, um, the you know influencers I've been listening to or following, you know, ever since COVID, you know, and I'm happy for this, but we saw some real evil happen in this world. And I think it's opened up many people's eyes to like, okay, there's got to be something deeper that we, we need to pay attention to. So I'm seeing a lot of people focus on, on Christianity. And, and I've spoken to people who are from the Orthodox tradition, people who are from the, um, um, Protestant religion. I'm, I'm, I'm LDS myself. And so, uh, you know, I, I welcome all kinds of people as long as they're finding some kind of spiritual common ground. But as we know, not just in American Christianity, this is something that's happened over the last 2000 years. You know, Christianity itself has been translated and mistranslated and, 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 and preached correctly and preached incorrectly. And so there's been a, a great need for fact checking Christianity itself. <laughs> and we could go back and and really get into the history of what has become modern Christianity. And I think where it started to devolve was when the Roman Catholic church became kind of the, 
kind of the politics of the day. Like when, when Roman Catholicism started to actually lead Roman culture like that, mm-hmm. that was a, that was, that was a, a bad thing. Like if you look biblically, the, the church was not into it to be a rulership. It was supposed to be something that influenced the, that influenced humanity and that helped kind of establish morality and, and build culture, not, not build the state. And so when, when the Roman Catholic church began to run things, I think that's where you really started to see the, the devolution of Christianity. It, mm-hmm. it became a thing that was about power and it was about money and it wasn't about God and morality and theology anymore. And that's, uh, but <laughs> that, that's a, uh, several hundred years worth of build up to, to where we are now. But I, I think that's where it kind of started. Yeah, I would agree. And, and, and depending on what faith tradition one lies in, you know, you get a different version of that entire history anyway. And so uh, I, I generally try not to um, debate different theological perspectives. Uh, although I will just because of what you said, kind of share uh, just for a moment, my my perspective as a, as a Mormon, as LDS, is that you know we believe that uh, you know <laughs> all your churches have kind of fallen away from the truth and they needed to be put back together. And so that's the story of our church through Joseph Smith. Uh, you know we herald as a prophet who kind of restored everything. And uh, just because there was a falling away, I mean, why we have Protestants and Catholics and Orthodox and and Catholics and and and, and all these different branches because. Not everybody has the full truth, I, I think. I think there's different pieces of the truth everywhere. And again, not bashing anyone's particular religion, I think that some faiths have very good information and have uh, um, expertise in some areas of scripture, if you would. And so I believe that you can learn from everybody so long as you're learning and not fighting with each other. But, you know, I put something, you put something on about, about, about Jesus Christ on, on social media. And that's it. You're going to get all the arrows shot at you from one direction or another. And everyone's got a perspective from it, you know? So it's, it was kind of a social experiment that uh, it just, it made me aware that, uh, you know, maybe we need some more fact checking going on. Well, that takes us to, like you said, you know, it's, if you say something about Jesus, that's when you get the, uh, you tying back to my article, that's when you get the, not my Jesus crowd. That's when you get to the ones who were like, well, you're talking about being judgmental and my Jesus wouldn't be judgmental. Like, well, how well do you know your Bible? Yeah. So, I mean, so for this, for the sake of this conversation, we probably should just, you know, stick to the Bible instead of the writings of other people and and get down too many different traditions. But what does actually the Bible say about who the man and, you know, our Lord Jesus Christ was, because if we're going to fact check anything, at least that's the basis that everybody can kind of like reference, <laughs> no matter what their interpretations are. But, you know, so like you said, um, not my Jesus, right? What does that mean exactly? I I think in your article, you mentioned, you referenced uh, the buddy Jesus. And of course, that's from the movie Dogma, George Carlin and uh, buddy Jesus. That was a great mm-hmm. movie, by the way. It, it had was. Alanis Morissette uh, portraying God in that movie. So <laughs> that was a unique perspective. Before we get too deep, what do you? I had friends who were very religious that got really pissed off about that movie, and I, I thought it was funny. Like, I think <laughs> I do think so. in some ways uh, we don't have a good enough sense of humor about those sorts of things at times. Um, 
and and it was intended to be irreverent. Like that's that was the point, right? Like you have to take that on its face for what it was supposed to be. And 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 as a Christian, um, I understand that that's the that's the point. Like this is it's it's being satirical. It's also kind of shining a a mirror back at like this is what modern society and like like pop culture kind of thinks about some of the things that we do. So like you should you should use that as a reflection point, right? Like, I, I don't know, I, I approach things like that a little bit different maybe than some people do, but I, I do think that, um, I think that like a movie like that has its place in, uh, in viewing for Christians and that like, it's something that you should be able to learn from and also get a good laugh at. Mm-hmm. Well, so, you know, I guess uh, the word uptight comes to mind when I think about that, you know, I'm not one of those. <laughs> I think that there's a line and I don't know how fine you want to make it uh, between being satirical and being irreverent and, and being straight up blasphemous, you know? And so I'm not sure if that audience, if the intended audience of that movie was strictly for Christians or, you know, maybe non-Christians who were just kind of poking fun at the thing, but um, as most comedy has most satire, you know, there is truisms in it. And so I, you know, I, I like that movie. So. <laughs> yeah. Same for me. Um, so, so yeah, let's get to the, let's get to buddy Jesus. Well, so, okay. Um, I don't have my phone with me. I, sh- I should reference what I put out. Okay. I, I actually said something on Facebook the other day that ruffled some feathers. Okay. And it wasn't a huge response, but it was, it was engaging enough that I said, you know, this, this is actually a good point. I, I was responding to a meme I saw that was completely, you know, out of uh, the circle of uh, that I was influencing here, but it was something about, you know, Jesus loves everybody and, you know, Jesus wouldn't, uh, you know, condemn sin or he wasn't, you know, he, he, you know, he's your, basically what you're saying, he's your friend and, you know, and, and don't worry about that. And I responded, I said, you know, Jesus wasn't just like this guy who walked around being nice to everybody. He wasn't just like this kind, kind guy who, you know, just let everyone walk all over him and, and, and do what they wanted to do. He was, he was the Lord. He was, he was, he was a guy saying, you're all sinners. You need to come back and, 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 and worship correctly. Right. And so he went around and he did offend people. Okay. And not intentionally per se, but <laughs> when they got in his face, he's like, you know, you're not doing right. And he would call out sin as it was. And in fact, that's what he told his apostles and his disciples to do is to call out sin and to preach repentance. And so I'm like, you can't preach repentance if you don't at first acknowledge that there is sin <laughs> prevalent everywhere. And so I got all kinds of people saying, well, you know, that's the wrong message. That's, you know, Jesus did preach love and there's nothing more powerful than love. And, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, he did preach that stuff, but he did call out sin. And I think what it comes down to is this idea that we have in, in society today, this cultural war, right? You know, we'll run one side. will will say, you know, this is the way we should live. We should, you know, we should, uh, pay attention to the oppressed and the victim and that's your woke mentality. Right. And then we have the other side, the conservative side is like, well, you guys are all evil and, and there's this battle going on. And I think that the message has been completely watered down, but it's not just, you know, Jesus didn't say just be kind and accept everyone for who they are. He's, he said, you know, if you're a sinner, you need to straighten your act up. You know, am I, am I wrong in saying that? Well, that's, I was trying to find it um, because there was somebody who had commented on that post that, he said, um, 
He didn't ask us to call out sin. He didn't ask us to flip tables and to flip tables and temples. Like, he literally did, though. Like, Jesus even goes into, uh, and I talked about it in one of my Substacks. I think the the one that I followed, the buddy Jesus went up with the following week. There is literally scripture in Matthew where he breaks down step by step how you go about addressing the sin in one of your, uh, you know, the fellow members of your church. So you mm-hmm. you first you go to him in private and you say, hey, look brother, this is what you're doing. You, you've got to change this. This is not good for you. And if he won't listen to you, then you take one or two others along with you and, and you go together and you say, look, this is what you're doing. We, we want to bring you back into the fold. And then you, if he still rejects you, you take him before the church and you have the entire body of your church look, you know, say, look, this is what's going on. We want you to come back into the fold with us. You have to, you have to stop doing this thing. And if he still rejects you, then then he's to be as the tax collector or the Gentile. Like you are, in which I clarify that as well, because there's a misunderstanding that is taken from that in by uh, by like non-Christians. They say, oh, well, you're just saying to cast somebody out. That's not very loving. That's not very Jesus-like. It's like, no, Jesus didn't say that you, you cast this person out. You treat them as the tax collector or the Gentile, which means they are not in your fold. They are not a part of your your body. They are still they're still your neighbor. Mm-hmm. They're still somebody that you're going to treat well. You're you're not going to go out of your way to be mean to these people or anything. But you know the the church of that time, even for the Jewish church existing in Rome, they were very close knit covenant type communities because they had to be. I mean, they were their protection from from the Romans from mm-hmm persecution from everything that was going on in those days. So when you treat that person as the Gentile or the tax collector, it doesn't mean that you're, you don't love them still, that you're not kind to them still, but it means that they have to be outside of your community because they are not of you and they are not of God anymore. And, and you have to, you have to have your community and take care of each other and somebody who will not turn from sin is not somebody that you can trust to take care of you and to take care of your community. Uh, and that's like, that's what that gets at. And um, like, that's a really bold message. That's mm-hmm. not the buddy Jesus, like do what, do whatever makes you happy message. That's not the, uh, as long as, you know, as long as you're not hurting anybody, great, great. Do what you want to do. That's Jesus actively telling people that if somebody is not a part of your community, then you need to remove them from your community. I mean, that's 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 very telling, and it's very um, it definitely goes against the the really modern, more woke, progressive Christian mantra of live and let live, and and don't try to and don't do anything that would hurt anybody's feelings. Right. And a cliche comes to mind. I don't know if it's the actual scripture. If it is, uh, I'll have to cite it. But, uh, you know, something along the lines of love the sinner, hate the sin. Right. So, of course, Jesus Christ wants to preach love and he wants to make sure all his children come back into his fold. And, you know, he cast out demons and, you know, but I was I made a point in my article or my article, my uh, my post that, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't condemned to death because he was a nice guy. (laughs) You you don't you don't get the death penalty for being kind to everybody. 
you know, he ruffled the feathers of his day. He, he challenged the establishment. You know, he, he said things that people called blasphemous and he, he upset the powers that be. And, and, and that's why, that's why ultimately, you know, he was sacrificed, of course, for everyone's benefit. And that was part of the plan, but you just, you, you can't, I don't know anybody who, who thinks that Jesus is all kind and that's all he did. And it, it just, it, it just waters down the message and it's, you know, it needs to be fact-checked. It's, it just wasn't right. So in my post, you know, I know it was provo- provocative, but it's like, you got to remember, you know, Jesus was a man. He did have emotions. He did have passions. If you were, he did express feelings towards people. And, you know, he had righteous indignation when people upset him, he expressed it in a way that, you know, a man should express it with love, but setting it straight. Well, and that takes us to a different, a, a different scripture in Matthew. It's uh, Matthew seven verses one through five, where it says, "You know, judge not, lest you be judged." And that gets twisted by the incredibly progressive, more woke Christian crowd, and especially by non-Christians who will who will be quick to use scripture quoted incorrectly to to try to make you feel bad about about doing something when jesus says just judge not lest you be judged uh you you have to follow it up with the next few lines it's for in the way you judge you will be judged and by your standard of measure it will be the measure uh it will be measured to you when jesus is, is giving this talk and he's saying this he's specifically calling out the Pharisees mm-hmm. and specifically calling out the church leaders at the time, because the way that they were judging others, they were, they were doing the things that later on the Catholic church was doing when they kind of came into being the power structure of Europe in the 14 and 1500s. They were, the Pharisees were like holding this religious ideal over the heads of the Jew, Jewish people. And if you were one of the just the average Jews, you had to live up to this unattainable standard that the Pharisees were holding you to so that you could be considered holy, so that you could be worthy of God's love and affection and, and everything else. The same way that the, the Catholic Church would, would use like having to pay to get enough prayers said for your loved ones so that they could get out of purgatory to get into heaven and stuff like that. Like that's, it's, it's a, it's an abuse of power and it's a manipulation of, of the lower class of people in your community. Mm-hmm. And so that's what Jesus is calling out here. That's what he's talking about. He's not saying that you shouldn't judge other people. He's not saying that we don't have the responsibility as Christians to look and call sin out when we see it. What he's saying is that you should use the same measure of judgment for others as what you would expect to be placed on yourself. Like, don't call your brother out for doing one thing when you're doing the exact same thing or worse. Like, that's that's why you know it talks about removing the speck from your own eye and or the worrying about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a log in your own and that kind of stuff. Right. It, it's it's saying that we also have to be looking at ourselves and making sure that we are aligning ourselves to that same way. Well, absolutely. And, uh, and it was much more eloquent than I said uh, on Twitter after that same uh, day of everything, you know, the first part of that, you know, judge not, 
it didn't end there. It said, lest ye be judged, right? In other words, we are all sinners. We're all in need of repentance. We all stand to be condemned unless we actually uh, follow the Savior and, and repent properly. And, you know, if we're going to if we're going to criticize and condemn others, then we must acknowledge that we stand in need of the, of the same kind of criticism if we fall short of his expectations. And, and, it's, and so many people and, 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 and that's why, like, I've heard this word being used a lot, uh, the inversion. Right. Today's world is like an inversion of everything that, uh, that Christianity teaches. And, and, and they're putting up this, this false Jesus in the name of wokeism. Now, you know, I, I've been accused on, on that same uh, on that same post that, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to make a political statement when I say wokeism. And I was like, that, it, it, politics is irrelevant. I mean, yes, that's used in political vernacular. But this idea of the victim, you know, a victimhood, everybody is a victim, is now used as a weapon. And it's a spiritual battle. It's not just a political battle. It's a spiritual battle that people are using this victim mentality. I'm a victim. I'm a victim. Therefore, you know, I need rights or I need this and that. And it's used to attack people, to make them feel guilty and ashamed, and to acknowledge that what they're doing, even if they're a victim, is is right even if it's not right in the sight of the Lord. And, I, and that's really, I always like saying, if, 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 if you're not going to be accepting that you are in the wrong as well as I am, then we're not in the same page here because, you know, I'm not going to sit there and, and I'm not talking you specifically, but, you know, I'm not going to sit there and herald somebody as holier than thou because you feel that, you know, the scriptures mean this way when they clearly say something completely different. And, and that's the mentality that we're living in this world. And it's, it's just, it's, People are oblivious to the fact, you know, they want to interject politics everywhere. And, and, I, and I really, it's much deeper than that. Well, I've gotten pushback and, and on, uh, I got an opportunity to go on a, a show a while ago. And now I'm trying to remember what the name of it was. Uh, it slip, slips me. It, but the conversation that we had and the guys are much more progressive uh, politically progressive and, and on, on the left of, of things. Uh, the conversation that we had was about what we mean when we say woke church or progressive church. And, and what we ended up figuring out was when he and I were having the conversation, we actually aligned very closely on where we see the problems with the modern American Christian church mm-hmm. in that it has strayed from theology and from scripture, and it does push a much more uh, secular, social, progressive agenda. Not, not, and you know, when I say progressive, I don't mean progressive in that it's pushing a particular po- uh, political party or something like that. It's not, it's not leftist per se, but it is definitely straying from tradition, straying from orthodoxy. And going in a a new direction that is anti, or maybe not anti-biblical, but it's definitely unbiblical. And mm. and in some ways, it is anti-biblical. So so when we're looking at at the modern Christian church, and and we're talking about it being woke or it being progressive, we're we're not saying that as a political statement. We're saying that as a cultural and a social statement. Uh, it just it just happens that the people who are on that side of things tend to take it as a, uh, as a political jab. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, I, I use the word apostasy a lot because that's you know it's kind of a, a a word that we use in our in our faith because apostasy obviously means uh, going away from tradition or going away from the truth, and so. Uh, I can't quote the person right now. I probably should have done better with my notes here, but uh, you know, apostasy happened within the church more than it did outside of the church. Meaning that there are people in the church, and, and I'm not specifically mentioning any faith tradition. Okay, the church is a is a collective body. People have their own understanding, right? They have their own ideas of what scripture. They 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 tend to uh, create their own theologies, right? And then that's how you you see these churches that you know. Are going woke that have these woke progressive and even political messages on their on their marquees outside of it because the people of the church themselves are the ones who are apostating and they're not even being led necessarily by by the bishops or the pastors or the priests but the people themselves are, are doing it and and of course all that stuff is going to rise to the top anyway so now you see leaders of churches who are who are going astray and things of that nature well and what you see with that is the same thing that you see throughout society as a whole and and within politics and um I mean, really everything. It's the the insanity of the mob is dictating what the leaders do instead of the leaders reigning in the mob and setting them on the right path. Uh, you're seeing this happen. You're seeing this happen with modern parenting. Uh, the the monkeys are running the zoo, and more more often than not, when where you know the child parent relationships are involved. Uh, the same way with the, the way schools are being done. Uh, look at the university settings where the students and the insanity that they try to push will dictate what the universities itself will allow. I mean, you saw it with the whole cancel culture thing in the, the early and mid 2000s um, and, and into the 20 teens where, you know, anybody who was left of a full-on or was right of a full-on Marxist would be canceled from speaking events at universities mm-hmm. because they didn't want to hear that. And then you had all these students and needed safe spaces and stuff like that. The same thing's happening within the church. Instead of having strong leaders who step up and are willing to put a foot down and say, no, this is, this is what the Bible says. This is, this is what we believe. This is what is truth. You have squishy leaders that say, well, as long as it makes you happy, as long as you're not going to try to run me out on a rail, then sure, we'll do that. It's not hurting anybody. It's whatever. Like, just just don't, uh, you know, don't yell at me, please. And and that's the, that's the leadership we get. We don't. I've been in management for, I can't, I don't know, 15 years, I think, maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more than that. We see that in management, too. You get, you get squishy leaders that. They won't manage from the front. They won't lead. They allow whatever the team or whatever outside influences are saying or pushing for to dictate the way that they lead. And then you end up with no, you end up with no authoritative structure to keep things organized. And in, in anything in society, like that's hierarchy and structure and organization are, integral to things working the way they're supposed to. And mm-hmm. especially in the church, you need strong church leaders that, that understand the Bible, that understand what it says. And so when you start getting stuff like that's pushing back against some of these things, um, I, I've actually seen a full, a full lesson 
explaining why homosexuality is actually permissible and talked about in a positive light throughout the Bible. And it only takes a very, very, very little bit to look at each of these examples that they use to then to debunk the whole thing and be like, oh, that's that's completely taken out of context. That's just objectively false. That doesn't even exist. <laughs> like it, it doesn't take much, but we don't have strong church leaders to do that, at least in, a, um, I, I can't speak for LDS, but in <clears throat> the larger portion of the Protestant denominations, we don't have strong church leaders in the United States who are willing to step up and say, no, that's wrong. That is biblically, theologically wrong. And this is why, and this is what it actually is, and this is this is what we should be doing. Now, you do see it in, in Africa and other parts of the world, especially within Methodism, where you have strong faith-based communities that are willing to do those things. But they're, they tend to be younger uh, in their faith. They, they aren't as long-term established. And they also don't have the political influences pushing on them that you have here in the United States. So, you know, politics does play a big part in it, but like lacking the strong leadership within the American church, that is, that is really pushing us in a, a wrong direction. Sure, sure. And, you know, so one thing about the LDS is that, you know, it is a worldwide church, but uh, in the United States, uh, the majority reside in Utah. And so if you're not familiar with Utah or, you know, or live there or anything like that, then, you know, you're not going to see it as prevalent, uh, you know, in other places because I'm a minority. I, I live outside of Chicago and uh, like, you know, there's there is what we call a ward here is, you know, it's a congregation and, and, and there's there's several in Chicago, but it's nothing like the size of Utah. But uh, there's a huge movement in Utah against, uh, you know, against the leaders of the church who are, are very strong and saying, you know, you're not acting correctly. You're not acting biblically. You're not acting according to our doctrine. And, and people's heads are just exploding in that state. And so if you were, if you were, if you are in my audience, a member of, of, of my church, you know that, you know, there's a lot of apostasy in the state of Utah because the leadership will come down and say, you know, that's not what scriptures teach. And, and people tend to put their politics in front of the religion, you know, we, we had a talk one time by one of our leaders that talks about uh, identity and we're supposed to call ourselves, you know, we are children of God. We are children of the covenant. You know, we are members of the church. We are fathers. We are, you know, we are, we are mothers. We are, we are husbands or wives. And then we are Republicans or we are Democrats and we are libertarians or we are progressive, but there's a whole movement out there in Utah that says, you know, they're progressive Mormons. The progmos is what they call them. Right. It's like you're identifying your political nature before the spiritual side of things. And that's why everyone's all messed up. Hopefully, hopefully the leadership has the will to stick through that. Um, the Presbyterian church a number of years ago, it was right after um, Oberfeld was passed and gay marriage was permitted. The Presbyterian church went through a, a huge schism because the United, uh, I'm trying to remember what the exact terminology is, but the official Presbyterian Church of the United States said, okay, it, it's being allowed, so we're going to allow uh, gay marriages to be conducted in our churches, we're going to allow uh, homosexual 
pastors in our churches. And I said, you're like, we're, we're just going to do this. We're, we're going forward with what society wants. And there was a big schism and there were a lot of people that left the church and, and formed like a, an independent Presbyterian church. And what you ended up seeing was over the next three years, uh, membership in the American Presbyterian church dropped by like 40%. Mm. Whereas membership in that, uh, like that splinter group was doubling year over year. At the same time, you saw the, the uh, Southern Baptist Convention decided to hold firm that we do not, we are not upholding that. We are, we're going to teach strict theology and, and what it says in the Bible. The Southern Baptist Convention, the Southern Baptist Church continued to grow over that time. That was, a, that was around the same time that, uh, that the, the big schism really started to happen within the Methodist Church. And what you've seen over the last two years or so is trying to remember the exact number. It's, it's in the thousands of Methodist churches that have disaffiliated from the United Methodist Church and are now just independent churches because they won't, they will not remain affiliated with the United Methodist Church because of the, the progressive things that leadership is pushing. The, the only reason that the church hadn't gone full, like woke, so to speak, is because they did have uh, a head bishop who put his foot down and would not allow that stuff. And they were finally able to force him out this year. Um, and then they replaced him with a, an incredibly progressive new leader of the, of the board of, of bishops. And, and now it's, it has turned into a full on fracture of the church. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if within the next three years, the, the United Methodist Church doesn't exist at all, at least in the in its current iteration or the way it's been constructed for literally the entire time that it's existed. It's uh, it's really it's really scary. But what you see is in, in every one of these cases and even with the Southern Baptist Convention, they've had some they've had some pushback from that over the last couple of years. They've they've remained relatively firm on it, but but it's it's getting harder and harder for them to stay firm on it. Uh, every time you start to see the leadership devolve in the wall crowd, that's when the church itself starts to kind of collapse in on itself. I mean, it's it's going to be the death of of the Christian faith in the United States unless there's a a massive revival that brings back true biblical purity and actual theological teaching and preaching, as opposed to pandering to whatever's popular. Yeah. I, I, I think in real time, we're seeing an actual wheat and tares kind of thing going on. And, uh, you know, um, when they say narrow is the way and straight is the gates to get into heaven. And so like, you know, as much as we hate to see churches reduce in size because of this kind of thing, that's, that's prophecy in itself, right? People are going to fall away. And, 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 you know, as much as we want to help them and save them, you know, the true people who are going to be admitted into heaven, you know, they're going to be few. That's just real. There, uh, there are some good scriptures about pruning the vines. <laughs> so, um, you know, but uh, it, it, that's neither here nor there. I, I think, I think, I think going back to the topic of discussion is, you know, if we are true disciples of Christ, you know, 
in Revelation, it calls us, uh, you know, if we are have a testimony of the spirit of Jesus Christ and we are considered prophets, right? Prophets and revelators. And, uh, you know, in, in numbers, I, I just, I, I heard these scriptures and I was reminded about them today before I started talking. So that's why I'm quoting them now. In Numbers 11, 29, uh, you know, it talks about, uh, um, as they were calling the 70, right? They had a council and, and, and there was there was two men that were uh, among the group and they were prophesying. And Joshua goes to Moses, hey, these guys are prophesying. And Moses is like, envy not for me, but the Lord would have everyone be a prophet, right? With, if we're going to be prophets, if we're going to be teachers of the word of Jesus Christ, what is a prophet supposed to do? A prophet is supposed to say, okay, well, here's the teachings of Christ, but also they were taught to, re- to teach repentance. And rebuking doesn't have to be harsh. It doesn't have to be violent because Jesus didn't teach with violence. I mean, yeah, flipping the tables over can be considered something, but this, he didn't teach violence, Right. And so there doesn't need to be this cultural war that we're looking at where we need to have one side arm up against the other side. You know, I talk to my wife all the time about this. Like, she's like, those people are evil. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But what happened, you know, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, why did Lot's wife get turned into ash? Because she kept focusing on the evil instead of turning in the direction she was supposed to be in. So that's why I look at it. You know, we don't need to be violently and, and rude, and but we need to acknowledge wrongdoing where it is. And I think that's, that's part of the gospel that most people miss. I think something that's also very important is we should be calling it out societally, right? Like we should be pointing out where evil exists and where sin exists and where these things are, are straying from, from the will of God. But the, the focus should especially be on within our church. Like it's, it's not our job to, actively be trying to change everybody that's in the wrong like what you you know you're you're planting the seed right you're um i've always had a problem with like the like the aggressive bible bumping like try you know trying to convert somebody like that's not your job and and the more you push on that the less likely you are to have success in it your Mm -hmm. job is to plant the seed to show through your action and through your through your life and through your words, what God has for that person. And then once that seed is planted, God does the work. Right? So as far as the secular society is concerned, like yes, we have a responsibility to, to say the things and to, to plant those seeds. But when it comes to actually like, I hate to use the word, but it's, probably the best word when it comes to actually being judgmental that's to be aimed inwards we are supposed to be we're supposed to be looking at our church at ourselves mm-hmm. at our leaders at those of us within our community and that's where we are supposed to be building up strength and and focusing on making that change and really aggressively driving that stuff home so like Yes, there is some validity to like not um, aggressively going after secular culture on that stuff. Uh, our work is to exp- or show them God's love and God's light, and then let Him do the work on that. But within our own communities and within our own churches, uh, within our own homes, 
that's where we need to be focused. That's where we need to really be putting in that, like that real, real work of forcibly making the change forcibly being, uh, calling it out and, and trying to, to get people back in line and getting our leadership to be strong in their faith and strong in their theology. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like your focus and 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 helping our, our community out, and I think that's a big problem in America itself. Is this is so polarizing because it's so darn big, you know. And if I can invoke my uh, my former libertarian self, you know, we want to decentralize the government, right? Because it's too darn big, and we got people in all these multiple states worrying about what's happening. If you're in California, you're worrying about what's happening in Alabama and, and back and forth. It's like you know, we need to focus on our communities. Because that's where change really happens, and it's just <laughs> the the political aspect is just is just crazy, and it, it's not going to be won using political weapons. And that's why I'm always telling people, you know, focus on the gospel, focus on your family, focus on the influence that you have, and not try to go outside of that influence. You know, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I know a lot. I, I um, I was just thinking of, you know, we have uh, people out there talking like Jordan Peterson you know, saying we got to clean up our churches, right? And then we have a lot of the Orthodox saying, well, he's the Antichrist because what does he know about fixing the church? It's like, well, he's got a good message. I think maybe we should listen to it instead of calling him out for his message. But, you know, maybe it's not his job to do that per se, but I think the message rings true. What do you think about that? I've, I've always been a, I've always been a big proponent of um, untraditional means of study and growth and, and learning. Um, I, I've spent a significant time studying the Dhammapada, the, the Buddhist Bible, mm. um, also reading the Quran. I've, I've spent a little bit of time looking at Taoism. I'd really like to spend more on that. I think it's really fascinating, but I, I just never dug as deep into it as I wanted to. But also looking at uh, Jewish customs and traditions, because that is kind of the foundation of Christianity. I mean, that's what it sprung out of. So sure. looking at things that go outside of just the Bible and just our faith specifically, um, and looking at, at secular things, like there are people, uh, I've, I've, I've gotten a lot out of Alan Watts and um, Terrence McKenna, uh, some different, like more, um, I don't know, guru-y type of, of uh, teachers and stuff, like listening to to their lectures and to their uh, like talks and stuff like that and, and reading stuff by, by people like that, like finding those influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think God exclusively, exclusively works through people who label themselves as a Christian. And, and if you're looking only at your, at that, like that, that's, that's a, a very small part of this huge world. And if we truly as Christians believe that God created this whole thing and that he has influenced and touched this whole thing, do you think he didn't touch those, that he didn't influence those, that he didn't put some message in that that you can take away from it? So, yeah, if Jordan Peterson is saying the right things that can help you find something that aligns yourself more in the direction that God would have you go, you would be remiss not to utilize that and to, to look at that uh, if he's saying things that go counter to that then yeah you need to uh, <laughs> there has to be a certain washing element of seeing I'm, I'm pretty sure that's scriptural as well that you 
you weigh it out and you see what brings you value and what doesn't. And you're, the stuff that doesn't, you're going to cast aside. And the stuff that does, you're, you know, that's going to be something that is that is for you from God. So yeah, I mean, if Peterson is saying stuff, uh, I know Mark Clare from having conversations with him. Uh, Alan Watts was a big influence on him when he was younger, and mm-hmm. and he's. I don't know that he would call himself a Christian or anything like that, but he's definitely come in the much more in the direction of having faith and believing in God and, and seeing things from that. So if there was a foundation that was built through what Alan, Alan Watts lectures that has led him down that path at this point in his life, there's value in that. And that's where also we need good teachers and we need good leaders within the church because when people do start exploring into that stuff, um, an immature faith can be negatively impacted by that or negatively directed by that. So, you know, you do need people who understand and have strong scriptural backing to, to coach and to guide as you go through those steps. But, you know, the world is a big place and there are a lot of different things that offer, um, that offer a lot that it, it all comes from God. I think C.S. Lewis kind of had the a theory more or less that um, they're all kind of different streams feeding into the same river. Um, and so you need to find, you know, find the good and, and take that, take that as face value. Take that as inspired by God where, where it is. Yeah, I, I agree. There, I don't think that there's a monopoly on truth in Christianity only. So, I mean, although uh, at the end of the day, Christ is truth, and you know, you can say Christ is God, but uh, like you said, He teaches us uh, to to learn from many different places. Because at the end of the day, we're all on this earth together, and and I think there's good things to learn from everybody. So, but we're as all, far as uh, go ahead, we're all going to come to a reckoning with God, where we come face to face with Him. There are going to be people who never even had the opportunity to hear from people like us or missionaries or anything like that about Jesus. But that doesn't change the fact that one day they will come to their reckoning and they will get to be face to face with him. And that's where they get to make their decision of, do I believe in him or don't I? And like, this is, this is kind of laid out in the Bible. Like you're either going to come to me and you're going, and I'm going to know you and you're going to know me or not. And I'll tell you, you know, say, go away stranger we're all going to have that. And if some people come through different paths, we, we, it's a, you know, it's a long and, and twist and road. And we, we all kind of travel it differently, but we're all going to end up in the same place eventually. And that's where, that's where the, the final decision will be made. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've, uh, I've taken up about an hour of your time. And since you're an hour ahead of me, it's getting pretty late by where you are probably. But, uh, you know, so we didn't talk a little bit about any of your career other than, you know, your podcast and, and things of that nature. But, uh, you know, you expressed that you are, you know, you're in management, you are in leadership. And I think you've, we've already discussed some great principles in, 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 in leadership uh, as a whole, not just specifically in a church. Uh, I think that we both agree that we want to be able to um, seek the truth where we can f- seek it at. And, uh, you know, if we have to rebuke others for spreading false information, then, you know, we should do so with love, but, uh, you know, protect our family and our communities uh, in the church uh, first and foremost. I think we agree on, on both of that kind of stuff. So 
Are there any parting words you want to leave the audience, you know, before I let you go or anything like that? Please check me out at the fact check this podcast on YouTube rumble. Um, I need to update my odyssey, but it's, it's there as well. Just not updated yet. Uh, and fact check this podcast on any podcatchers. fact, check this Substack. It's, uh, Jay Campbell. No, it's Campbell J dot Substack.com. Uh, I keep getting those backwards. Jcampbell.substack.com is actually a pretty good one, but it's not mine. Uh, I've, I've stumbled upon him a couple times and, and he's not bad, but he's not me. Uh, Campbellj.substack.com. Uh, that's where I do all of my writing. Uh, I have done a couple little like uh, like storytelling type things, but mostly I just focus on the on the uh, Christianity side of stuff. Um, so yeah, check me out on all of that. And as far as like a, a parting shot or something, uh, my last Substack piece that I wrote this past weekend, I talked about taking action, and and I think that's where we are. We we have been there for a while, but as especially as Christians in America. We no longer have the luxury of sitting on the sidelines and thinking, okay, somebody else is going to take care of this. Like it's, we have to step up and we have to be willing to, to be men and women of action and to say there's something very wrong with, with our society and with our church and we have to fix it and we have to fix it now because things are not going to get easier and they're not going to get better going forward. It's we're, we're in a, we're in a very delicate time and having strong leaders is the only way we get through this. Well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Justin, one last question for you. Are you Invictus? Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Very cool. Very cool. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you uh, for tuning in to the show. Again, you can check out uh, Justin Campbell. If you want to learn more about his take on, on Christianity, then you can check out his Substack. And if you're more into uh, sports and politics and, and other worldly things, I suppose, uh, check out his uh, his podcast at uh, Fact Check This Podcast or Fact Check This Substack. So uh, thanks for your time, Justin. Stick on the line and let's chat for a minute, okay? Thanks, Mike.